0: Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be actually in three different places this morning. Alright, so who's been super excited about Christmas coming? Show me your hands. They're mostly kids and a handful of adults. Okay? We think of so many different things whenever it comes to Christmas season. Um, Celebrations, gatherings together. Some of you have traditional food that you eat. Traditions that are had or have been had in the past. We, you, you say Christmas and immediately all of these things come to mind. And uh, it's really easy for us to get wrapped up into that, isn't it? Uh, to get wrapped up into the planning and the scheduling and the preparations and everything that goes into it. And... Uh, it seems in the midst of that all of the preparations and everything that takes place it just happens and it's done like that right and it's past and i uh, i found in reflecting on my own my own life that growing up as a kid, but it didn't It didn't really stop as in childhood. It, it carried over into adult, adulthood. That my tendency when we come into seasons like this, in and of myself, is to go through and think of all of the things about this season that I, I am looking forward to. Or that might take place that I'm excited about. Or that might come to fruition. Or uh, as a kid, you might think in terms of, uh, what are the gifts that I might get? And I distinctly remember this, uh, that aspect of it as a child. And uh, I I was, I was not always the greatest at being okay with having uh, gifts be a secret up until Christmas Day. And so I would try my best to craft ways of uncovering or unpacking what is what what is it that I'm going to get uh, early my, my earliest memory of how to do that was that I would uh, I would I would think about all right of all the places that mom and dad could possibly hide the gifts where would they most likely hide them and how might I get a get just a peek at what those gifts were. And there was one year that I saw, I, I found a space. And I saw something. And I was so excited about it. And Christmas morning it was my brother's. <laughs> and reflecting on that I go, yeah, that's what I get. For uh, for trying to, to hack the system. And uh, as I reflected on that this week though, the reason that story came to my mind is because growing up as a child, I can know all of the things... Related to why we celebrate this time of year I can, I can recognize all the places in scripture that highlight the birth of Jesus And in conversation with others or with one another I can easily communicate to other people Yeah, Christmas is about Christ And yet in the back of my mind I can easily get wrapped up, pun intended In the scope of everything to do with this time of year for who we are culturally today more than what it's really about in the grand scheme. It's so easy for us to step into a mindset that says one thing and yet experiences or lives out another. It's so easy for us if we aren't careful to make faith a lot more about us than about Christ. It's, it's it's if we're not careful, easy to make Christmas a lot more about us than about Christ. And, and And so, today, I want us to step back and just pause. Because I'm going to guess that a majority of you recognize and know or have heard that Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus. But to step back and ask ourselves a question, what is it in us truly that we're excited about? And what does that say about where our eyes are fixed? Now, I'll preface all of this and say, this does not mean by any scope of the imagination that I'm saying we need to not gather and not have the traditions and not have the food. Please, have the food. Okay? But what I'm saying is, in the midst of it all, what do we elevate as most important? And where do we come back to in a center that is actually at the root of what brings lasting joy and peace and satisfaction and gratitude? And we know that the answer is Jesus, but is the answer for us actually Jesus? we've been going through over the last few weeks the different biblical spirits of Christmas. And not not a mystical spirit, but really the attitudes with which we should approach this time of year. And today, as we continue in that, we're going to talk about one that may be the most important of all. And it's humility. Now, humility, if we were to look up a definition of this is a modest or low view of one's importance. And specifically today, I want to look at three people who exemplify this type of biblical humility that we can learn from. And I believe if we can learn from their example and root into what biblical humility looks like, it's going to change the dynamic of this Christmas season in a powerful way. So we're going to look at Mary, we're going to look at Joseph, and we're going to look at Jesus. And ask the question, what does biblical humility look like lived out for us? Now, in Luke chapter 1, we've been in Luke chapter 1 for the last couple of weeks. And so I want to just read a portion of Luke chapter 1 before we turn over to Matthew 1 and look at Joseph. And so Mary here is... Approached by the angel gabriel in luke chapter 1 and this portion of the narrative starts in verse 26, but i'm going to jump down To verse 34 and so gabriel has appeared to mary and he says to her mary uh, You're gonna you're going to be with child You're going to have a son. You're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means god with us and verse 34 mary says to the angel. How will this be since i'm a virgin with God. And we talked about that last week. And what biblical faith looks like. Having a confidence in God's purposes. And that his way of bringing about those purposes is best. In 38. Mary says. Behold I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so right here. Just in verse 38 alone. We have a rich example of biblical humility. We're in the face of radical changes. And we could put ourselves in Mary's shoes and think about the fact that she's betrothed to Joseph. And betrothal in scripture was a legally binding entity. It was like legal marriages today. And so the, the, the two would become betrothed and then the husband, the future husband would go to prepare A place for his family to dwell. And when his place was established and built and ready, he would come and they would have the wedding celebration. And the two would then be considered married. If you ever wonder where the all of the biblical metaphors related to the return of Christ come from. It is the cultural means of marriage in biblical culture. It's where it comes from. It's why the church is called the bride of Christ. We're waiting for the bridegroom to return and take us home after he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The confidence resting that in Christ we're betrothed to Christ. So in the scope of this, all of the plans now have been thrown out the window. And you can imagine being in Mary's shoes. And if our eyes in that moment, putting ourselves in Mary's shoes, are focused simply on ourselves, what's going through our minds right now? Honestly, what, what do you th- Let's just, as a family, let's think about this. And and what? Just, just in like one word or a couple words, you put yourself in Mary's shoes. She's betrothed to Joseph. The angels just showed up and she's been told she's going to be with child. And all the implications of that culturally and what that's going to mean for her and her future plans and everything that's going on. What's the first thing that comes to mind if you're sitting in Mary's shoes? Scared. What else? What was that? Shame. Hesitancy. Fear. Doubt. What was that? Yet. Yes. So, when we think about that, any of those reactions would be understandable. And yet, Mary here... Goes, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be. Let it it be. I'm a servant of the Lord. That is our first example of biblical humility. And so, to, to summarize that, biblical humility looks like willingly laying down our own plan for God's purposes. Biblical humility looks like laying down our own plan for God's purposes. Mary here... I, we don't know what how this narrative might have changed if Mary, Mary was going... Uh, I'm not okay with this, Lord. I'm really not okay with how this is unfolding. I had all these plans for how my wedding was going to unfold. I had all these plans for how our family was going to begin. I had all these thoughts and plans. And we think... Yet the Lord knew That this is the type of person that Mary was And she responds in humility and simply says I'm a servant of the Lord Now I will be the first to admit When my plans get shaken up and thrown out of order I don't like it It's not fun If you have any question about whether or not I like when my plans have to change Ask my wife She will tell you "Ah, No No. And yet, a humility that's rooted in understanding what God in Christ has done for us says, You know what, Lord? My plans are in your hands. And uh, Proverbs, I think it's in chapter 19, is where it says, Men make plans, the will of the Lord prevails. Right? And yet, if we're not careful... We can make all these plans and convince ourselves that our plans are God's plans. God, look at this plan. It's fantastic. How can this plan not be your plan? And yet God's going, well, my, my plan may include suffering. We found that out in first Peter, didn't we? My, my plan may include hardship. My plan may include the loss of earthly things, so you realize the importance of eternal things. My plan may include grief. My plan is not your plan. But there's a hope in that, because we can maybe get discouraged when we see that. The hope in that is that his ways are far better than ours. And what he has purposed to do is far greater than what you and I will ever purpose to do no matter how far we advance And so a biblical humility recognizes that and simply just as Mary does says I'm a servant of the Lord Let it be to me as you have said Now flip with me to Matthew chapter 1 flip back to the beginning of the New Testament We're going to go to Matthew's account of the birth of Christ, where we see the example of Joseph now. Matthew chapter 1. And we don't know a lot about Joseph, to be honest. There's not a lot of places that he's talked about. There's a lot of speculation around Joseph and what went on and what took place and why isn't he there when Jesus is crucified. The reality is we don't have a lot of answers But we do have these pieces of Joseph in the midst of the life of Christ That speak volumes to his character And we can learn a lot from that Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 18 It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph Before they came together She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit Multiple aspects of what we see in Joseph's character here. So, betrothed. So once again, in that one year or so period where he's preparing a place for them to live. But they are legally married by law. Bound together. And now he discovers that Mary is with child. We don't know how that conversation went. But if we put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, we can understand How there might be some level of uneasiness here. Because Joseph is going, alright, I understand how this works. And I know that you and I have not been together. So, this, this has to be someone else. Now, in that moment, let's do exactly what we did with Mary. You put yourself in Joseph's shoes... What's coming to, what do what you, what are, one or two words, what are you feeling right now, potentially? Angry. Betrayed. Uncertain. Embarrassed. Stress. Right? All of these things. And when we understand even the cultural implications that go on, if, in, in this type of circumstance, if he were to go through with the marriage, Culturally, once everyone else discovered she was with child, they would have assumed that it was Joseph's, because why else would he marry her? And therefore, there would have potentially been the cultural assumption, well, Joseph couldn't wait until they were fully married. Do you hear what happened? I mean, we, It's not out of the realm of possibilities for us to think through these things happening, because sometimes we've seen this happen in our own culture, right? All of a sudden the story comes up and then, and rumblings happen. And so Joseph is faced not only with the personal struggles, but the cultural struggles. What does the decision I make say? Because ultimately, if I, if I divorce her and stop this marriage, then it's gonna affect, it's gonna affect Mary. And yet if I go through with this, this is how it's gonna to look towards me. He's in a crisis. He's in a dilemma. And yet, right from the beginning, in verse 19, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Unwilling to put Mary to shame. He resolves that he's going to divorce her quietly. This is the first clue about who Joseph is. He's not taking this out into the public and say, Hey, everyone, guess what my fiancé did? Guess what happened? I can't believe this is happening. You know, it's been a long year of carpentry, and this is what I get. It's, it's not what... Instead, he... In the midst of this, we see a man who has attention here. And seeks to, 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 to take care of this quietly. And then, in a dream, the Lord... An angel of the Lord appears to him. And says... This is what's happened, which would have lined up with what Mary told him, because when Gabriel came to Mary, that's what he told her. So now there's this confirmation from the Lord. And what does Joseph do when Joseph woke from sleep? What did he do? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. We don't see an instance here where Joseph said, "Okay, Lord, let me think about this. Let me just take a few days. No, it says, when he woke from sleep, he did what the Lord told him to do. Okay, Lord. Confirmation. Confirmation here. And then Joseph goes the extra mile. And we we often overlook this, but I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes, who has been... More than likely really looking forward to finally finishing their home. Coming and celebrating the marriage with his wife and enjoying life together. And now this has just thrown a wrench in all of their plans. And Joseph takes her as his wife in verse 25, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph, not only in this Was a man of character Not wanting to put Mary to shame He's a man of incredible self-control You stop and you think about this Someone gets married They look forward To the physical aspect of a relationship That has not been up until that point point. And now, Joseph's going You know what? There needs to be no confusion Over whose child this is And so We're going to honor the Lord in this way. I I mean, it goes an extra level. What is that? What do we see consistently here is Joseph's relationship to Mary and Joseph's response to the Lord. What is it? It's the biblical humility looks like valuing others over ourselves. Biblical humility not only looks like laying down our own plan for God's purposes. It looks like valuing others more than we value ourselves. And you see that, you see that in the character of Joseph. In Philippians chapter 2, we see an example of this exhortation. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Everyone say that's hard. There was very few people who actually said that. It's really hard. If we're honest with ourselves, it is so much easier for us to fix our eyes on ourselves and what we want and what we need. And that's the whole point of this whole time to realize, man, even when it comes to Christmas, we make it about us. But it's not just Christmas, is it? It, It's every step of my life, you know. I'd like this house and I'd like this income and I'd like these things and I'd like to be able to do this. I'd like to be able to travel. I'd like all of this. What what if the Lord says, nope, your plans are going to change because I got a different plan for you. Uh, What if the the Lord decides uh, we're going a different direction than the direction you're going? How, how, how are we going to respond? What if the Lord says, you know, instead of increasing where you are at, I want you to pour an overflow into others. What does that look like? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We could take a step back here and just ask ourselves a question. Where am I most prone to care more about myself than anyone else? For some of you, it's, it's in your own homes. You care more about yourself than you do your spouse. And it's evidenced by how you treat your spouse. For others of you, it may be in relation to your children. For others of you, it may be coworkers, maybe it's people within the church, maybe it's, you fill in the blank. But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I here to serve or to be served? And what I'm really answering in that is, am I here to emulate, to model Jesus? Or am I, am I here for me? Is this life about me? It's a growth point for every single one of us. The last place I want to go this morning is actually Philippians chapter 2. And we just read a portion of this. But I want to look now at the character of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Flip towards the back. If you hit Thessalonians and Timothy, you've gone too far. Philippians chapter 2. Now this passage is a little bit different than the other ones we've read Uh, Matthew and Luke are both Gospels That's what we call them Um, Not the Gospel, but Gospels They're books of the Bible that highlight the, the life and the ministry of Jesus Matthew, Mark, Luke and John And in Philippians, this is actually a different genre It's a letter It's not a historical account of what is taking place as much as it is a personal note from Paul to a grouping of people known as the church at Philippi. And within this letter, he encourages them a lot. And then in the second chapter of Philippians, he exhorts them, he commands them to model a Christ-like way of living. And look at verse 5 with me in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Everyone say servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, three specific aspects of Christ that we see in Philippians 2. Number one, he emptied himself. And you go, emptied himself of what? Well, he emptied himself of the glory that he had with the Father in eternity from the beginning. And you want to know how we can tell that's what he emptied himself of? In John 17, while Jesus is praying to the Father in the garden, his prayer is, Father, return to me the glory I once had with you before the world began one of the most profound passages of Scripture that speaks to Christ's preexistence That He was with the Father in the beginning. Colossians 3 also tells us that everything was created through Christ. Christ is present at creation. He's not a created entity. So Christ willingly empties Himself of the glory He had with the Father and comes to earth in the form of a baby. He took the form of what? A Servant That's the second part of this He emptied himself But Jesus could have emptied himself And said you know what I'm I'm the king of kings I'm going to empty myself Right into a royal position on earth I'm going to empty myself Right into a place of authority Where I can instigate real change And yet We celebrate A savior that came In a manger because they couldn't stay anywhere else into a family that wasn't the top of the top. In fact, they were pretty low on the chain of authority people. And so Jesus comes in the form of a innocent child and lives in a place that's not of grand or spectacular. But lives from the very beginning as a servant. And then the reason, the ultimate reason that we celebrate Jesus coming is because of what we recognize that he accomplished through his death, burial and resurrection of the cross. And so not only did he empty himself, not only did He take the form of a servant, but he became obedient to the point of what? Death. You stop and you think about that. We celebrate a baby born in a manger because of what we know about what his death accomplishes. But even more so, it's not just his death because he, he didn't stay dead. But celebrating the resurrection because it shows that there is actually life in Christ. that He came to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Which was not at all what people thought he was going to do. His own disciples didn't think that's what he was going to do. They were convinced he was going to be a political leader. And resolve the conflict. And bring peace amongst the Israel's land. Finally, it's going to culminate. It's going to happen. It's going to be done. There will be peace. Peace on earth. No. There will be peace for those who are on earth. Because of Christ's sacrifice. Humbling himself, taking the form of a servant Being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross Biblical humility looks like prioritizing God's will over our wants Biblical humility looks like prioritizing God's will over our wants Man, this is another one that As soon as you read it, you go, that is hard because sometimes I just want God to give me what I want There's a lot of times God, I would really like for you to just heal my relationships God, I would really like for you to just heal my physical ailments God, I would really like you for, to just fix these financial struggles that we're having God, I would really like for you to fix the tension and stress and anxiety that I'm experiencing every day God, I would really like you to take away the PTSD that I endure day after day. I would really like for you to give me a job I actually enjoy. I would really like for you to bring about all these things that drive me nuts. And yet God, in the midst of the chaos, sent his son so that we could go, in the midst of it all, I know where to fix my eyes. In the midst of it all, I have a sure and steady anchor I can cling to. In the midst of the storm. One that brings peace and comfort and joy. Not happiness. But something the world longs for and is trying everything it has to find. Family, if you are in Christ, you have what the world is searching for. But the question is, do you recognize that? Do you recognize the gift that you've been given in Christ? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest or peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Both of those correlate to a humility that Christ revealed through himself. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, every time I read that, I think to myself, there is not a person in this world that doesn't want an easy yoke and burden. Every one of us Someone said sign here And you will have an easy yoke and burden like it, It's going to be easy You're going yes And yet we know what Christ endured Don't we And yet what Christ speaks about here Is a rest that can only come through him <laughs> A peace that can only come When he is all that we need And it takes us A lot of work to get to the place where we can say, he's all that I need. All we have to do is look around at this time of year and answer the question, would we be content? Kids, this is a challenging one for you. Because I think it's significantly harder when you're of a younger age. And yet, I'm going to tell you, it is not something that's exempt from any of us as adults. Because contentment is just as hard for adults as it is for kids, isn't it? If Christmas included no gifts at all, would we still have joy? I heard one, no. (laughs) And I understand that. And that is probably the most honest answer that any of us would get, right? Because so often this time of year, we make it about all the other things. We make it about all the traditions and all the stuff. And we get excited about that. And again, I say, I'm not saying we need to deal with any of that. What I am saying, though, is that we should be even more excited about the greatest gift that's ever been given. And at the end of the day, we have to recognize that biblical humility rests in God's ability, not our own. When I realize that God has accomplished what I could not. That's when the joy and the peace and the comfort comes. What is it that God has accomplished that I cannot? God has made a way where there was no way for you and I to be redeemed and with God for eternity. And the way he made was through a child born that day in the city of David, Bethlehem, who is called Christ in the Lord. The way that God has made is through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus to pay the penalty for you and I's wrongs that separate us from a holy God. The way that God made is through one, one and one only. In John 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The greatest gift we have been given, family, is the Savior. The greatest gift that you can receive this Christmas is the Savior. Savior. And one might ask, well, but I, I don't feel deserving of that. No, none of us are. It doesn't matter what state of life you're in. It doesn't matter how much you felt like you've done or not done to honor the Lord. God already knew you could never do enough. And that's why he sent Jesus. To do what you and I could not do. And to give us life and life eternal. And so what does it look like to follow Jesus? It looks like me saying, I recognize that there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can earn this. There's no amount of things I can do that will undo what I've already done. So I surrender my life to the one who has paid it all. And therefore I celebrate this day because he was born. And because he was born, I have life Because I know His life didn't end With his birth I know where it Where it ended up So this Christmas What will we truly celebrate? I want to encourage you To enjoy the special moments Celebrate the time together Appreciate the generosity Of other people But don't lose sight Of the truth That we celebrate Because of a gift That has already been given A Savior born who lived righteously, died on our behalf, rose and conquered the grave, ascended to prepare a place for us and is coming back and will be victorious over the darkness. This Christmas, may we fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him with a joy that can only be found in him. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to close by singing a song He shall reign forevermore As we anticipate a hope that we can have today Father we come to you and we praise you That you are a God Who knows our greatest needs far greater than we do God you are the one who has made a way through Christ And it's because of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas Father, I pray that that joy and celebration would not end as we uh, step through this coming week and the Christmas festivities wind down, that we would be a people to continue in praise and rejoicing, having a peace of mind, knowing that you are over all things, that you are sovereign. Lord, fix our gaze on you and root out the selfish ways in us. That we would be a people set apart for your purposes. Lord, untether us from the world that we live in. That we would be free to respond just as Mary and Joseph did. Where they said, we're servants of the Lord. Let it be as you have allowed it to be. And to move forward with a confidence that's rooted not in our own ability. But in you and what you have already done. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, the very one we celebrate this day. In Jesus' name, amen.